Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. Hi everyone and welcome to Location Matters. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking all things GDA 2020. And that's probably about a year on from the podcast that we hosted with Nick Brown from Geoscience Australia, which we did in July 2019. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by three people who I consider to be experts in this space, particularly here in WA. So first, we have Kylie Middleton from Landgate, who's having her first time on our podcast and also her first time on a podcast ever. (laughs) I'm I'm very excited to be here and thanks for having me. (laughs) That's okay. So Kylie, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. So I'm the manager of the shared location information platform at Landgate. So SLIP is WA's platform for sharing spatial data and SLIP has been sharing spatial data to the community for over a decade now and many of my 15 years at Langate have been involved in SLIP. I'm also on the project board for Langate's GDA 2020 implementation project and I am the delegate sponsor of Uh, stage three of the implementation. You are the perfect person then to be on the podcast. (laughs) So thank you so much for being here. I want to also introduce Joy Miles from NGIS, who's one of our senior GIS analysts and um, somebody that really, really regularly helps me out of pickles when I don't understand things. So Joy, first podcast with us, but been at NGIS for quite some time. Would you like to say hi to our listeners? Yeah, thanks for for inviting me. It was my first podcast ever, uh, first NGIS podcast. Obviously, uh, I've been working closely with Crystal, so we have produced a little blog about GDA 2020. Um, My role at NGIS this time around is Senior GIS Consultant. I'm one of the people who work with clients to help them get the most out of their data and the enterprise GIS platform that they have on premise. Um, I've got experience in local government, state government, mining and exploration and environment industries. Uh, I've had a number of roles over the years and gained a lot of experience in uh, GIS uh, web app development for on-premise and in-cloud environments, desktop tool development, scripting, enterprise GIS architecture, end-to-end, ESRI in particular, on-premise, hybrid and cloud, Uh, spatial data development, management, manipulation, predominantly through uh, scripting and automation, data and enterprise GIS platform migration, spatial data quality, spatial data governance, GDA 2020 migration strategies, of course, and implementation and process mapping for GIS processes. Basically, all things technical and spatial, and I'll confess that I'm more of a developer than a cartographer. Cartography <laughs> is definitely not my thing. Is there anything she doesn't know, Crystal? Yeah, minimal. <laughs> um, so Crystal Dobson is also here on the podcast. Our listeners would be familiar with Crystal because she's been on a podcast before. But Crystal and Joy have been, I guess, like I guess the rocks in the office when it comes to GDA 2020 and Crystal. But anyone that's listening to the podcast for the first time, feel free to introduce yourself. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for having me again. I'm one of our senior account executives here at NGIS. Um, I actually do have a background in cartography, too long ago to mention, um, and also experience in GIS, land surveying and data management. Really, though, my preference is just getting out there and talking to people. Um, So I do a lot of account management and business development, and I try and focus on opportunities where we can add the most value for our clients. 
And so Joy and I have been happily chatting to people about the complexities and the challenges and how to get going with this GDA 2020 strategy. Awesome. Well, let's get straight into it then. Something that we've been talking about recently within NGIS and that blog that you both wrote is um, that when it comes to GDA 2020 migration, a lot of the time it's just about understanding first and foremost what a geotetic datum and geodetic networks are actually. So maybe Kylie, you could help us out by just explaining those two things for our listeners. Sure. So in really simple terms, a geodatum is a reference system from which we can calculate the coordinates of position on the Earth's surface or the features on the Earth's surface. So that might be at a global or a national level. A geodetic network, so here in WA, is the foundation of all of our spatial data. And that also includes the Indian Ocean Territories or Christmas and Cocos Killing Islands as well. So to take advantage of improvements in technology and also to maximise the benefits of precise positioning, the ICSM, which is the Intergovernmental Committee on Survey and Mapping, has decided to modernise Australia's geospatial reference system, or AGRS. That will improve the accuracy, integrity and compatibility with space-based positioning. And Joy, you might like to jump in there and add anything? I think you've covered it really well. I'm glad you tried to explain it rather than me because I I explain things uh, a little bit more technical, so I'm glad you were able to to spell that out. If you can help me understand it, Joy, then (laughs) you're not that bad at explaining it in a non-technical way, trust me, but please. The the importance, I think, as well of of the datum is that the datum enables us to to bring data together on a map so that we can align different data layers from different sources together in the same map. And having the same datum enables us to to overlay the the data. And obviously, with the changes in in technology, we've had to uh, we've it enabled, I guess, the geodesists to uh, to make a better model of the Earth's surface, which has enabled us to take more accurate measurements. And it's a whole big cycle. And and certainly, our move to GDA 2020 is important for a number of reasons. One is, as Kylie says, is to take advantage of the changes in technology and the sub-decimeter uh, accuracy that's coming in 2023 on everybody's devices. Uh, the government's working on that now. And also, GDA 94 had some uh, biases and distortions in the model So GDA 2020 removes that and it's a lot more accurate as well. So it is still a static datum like GDA 94, but it is a lot more accurate than it was before in GDA 94. And it aligned with WGS 84, which is what our GPSs work off of predominantly. It aligns with WGS 84 on the 1st of January in 2020. And WGS 84 is now not aligning with GDA 94 anymore. It's 1.8 metres away from where that same coordinate was in 1994. And that's a great point. The 1.8 metre um, difference is significant. So the GDA 94 is no longer compatible with our satellite navigation positioning and and that is significant uh, when it comes to your handheld devices and that type of precise positioning, so especially in the driverless car industries and industries that rely on that precise positioning. As um, Joy said, the government has committed $225 million to improving positioning, so that is 10 centimetre or better 
for anyone, anytime, anywhere in Australia. And just talking to to that point, I guess, with the WGS84, it does cause a bit of confusion for businesses when they captured a WGS84 coordinate uh, any time previous to 2020. So they went out and captured a location on the Earth's surface in WGS84 and they captured that in the year 2000 and they put that in their database in WGS84. And if they go to the same same coordinate now that they had then, that that feature that they had at that point at that time is no longer in exactly the same spot. So it actually would be 1.8 metres away from where they were then. So there needs to be some kind of strategy for how you deal with WGS84 data as well. How do you deal with that old data? And also understanding the accuracy and the errors associated with when that data was captured in the first place. So there's no sense trying to maintain a certain level of accuracy and transitioning that data over if the initial capture accuracy was quite low in the first place. So um, I guess that's where we can help in trying to determine what's important and prioritise the activities going forward. And that's right. So it's as um, Joy is saying, it's important to note that there are about six different um, realisations of WGS84, but also GDA 2020 is now the legal datum for Australia. So uh, that's now the recognised value standard of measurement of position, uh, to put it in a long-winded way. Um, and that's important for, especially for that level of accuracy to make sure that you are capturing and maintaining data in, in that legal datum of GDA 2020. Um, GDA 94 has, has been repealed and um, GDA 2020 is the legal datum and WGS 84 has its limitations as well in, in Australia and is not a recognised um, value standard of measurement for Australia. For my benefit, being someone that knows uh, just, I guess, the basics about GDA 2020, when you say it's now the legal datum, is that right? That's right. Is there a cutoff time where organisations have to be using GDA 2020? No, there's not actually a cut-off time, but obviously if organisations have legislation or regulations or acts right. that, that relate to that, then they'll need to update those. Uh, I think we're, we're in quite a good position in WA um, to do that as, as it, there are systems in place for agencies to do that. Yeah. Uh, but the, the jurisdiction, Australian jurisdictions have committed to implementing GDA 2020 and that was by June of this year. Yeah, which would explain why I've been hearing more and more and more about GDA 2020 this year, especially around the office here at NGIS. Like I mentioned, uh, Nick Brown from Geosciences on the podcast this time, or maybe I think it was July last year, and did a podcast with me about GDA 2020, which was really just to educate people about what it is and and why we're talking about it. But I do feel like we're talking about it more now this year. And uh, I think, you know, being just a year on from that episode, Looking at the current climate of how things are in WA, like you just said as well there, Kylie, what would you guys say the current climate is in terms of people adopting GDA 2020 in their organisations? Crystal, you've been talking to a lot of people about it. What do you think? Uh, I'd say there's some concern from business leaders that are responsible for the high accuracy data um, around particularly ensuring compliance and compliance with that date. As well, though, there is a huge hesitance to get going. It, it can be quite daunting and also given its possible complexities without obtaining the most appropriate methodology to make those priorities. Under um, the ICSM, there's been a dedicated working group set up for the implementation of 
GDA 2020, affectionately known as the Gimme Week. So that's Gimme the, Week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the GDA Modernisation Implementation Working Group. Just I when love you thought that. we couldn't get more acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It sounds really cute, actually. <laughs> and there's also a WA Working Group for Implementation as well, which is a WA Gimme Week as well. So, so Langate uh, and other jurisdictions as well as um, Geoscience Australia are a part of that implementation working group and that's the working group that developed GDA 2020 and also uh, the technical tools and standards and other things to, to help implement it. So what we've seen I guess in the last half of 2019 especially with technology and implementation in technology for support of GDA 2020 that's that's come along in the last half of 2019 we've seen definitely some improvements in there in vendors adopting support for GDA 2020 and also transformations uh, but there's also been a lot of information provided on the ICM website regarding how to technically go about transforming data and also the transformation tools as well. Awesome. And I guess um, we're probably looking at how organisations are sort of taking that action, like you said, and how people are still figuring out how to tackle such a large project in, I guess, some of the like those lar- larger organisations. Joy, what have been some of the key challenges that you've seen organisations facing that are trying to make this migration happen? I think some of the key challenges that we're seeing is that um, quite often uh, GDA 94 is, is baked into legislation and they have it that legally they need to either ingest or distribute data in GDA uh, 94. So what they need to to consider is that they have to actually plan for uh, legislative changes. Uh, They may also have a lack of internal resources on the ground, so they may not have enough analysts on the ground to be able to migrate the data from the old coordinate system to the new coordinate system, so they may have a lack of resources in that space. And they may not be sure what to do or how to actually go about it. At Langate, we have been working on our implementation project um, for a number of years now. So uh, we're at stage three. So stage one and two have been completed. Stage one was implementing the change so that we could provide survey marks out in GDA 2020. So those that system has now been transformed and maintains the geodetic network in GDA 2020. And those survey marks are also available uh, on Data WA, which is data.wa.gov.au's website for discovering and accessing government information for WA. Uh, We have also uh, transformed the SCDB or Spatial Cadaster Database. So that means that surveyors can now submit plans in both GDA 94 and GDA 2020. So I think it's really important to note here that we need to continue to support Customers and GDA 2020 is still going forward until everyone has completed their migration. So that's definitely um, at the forefront of our minds in implementing GDA 2020 and that's something that other organisations can consider as well. So making sure that you know how your customers as well need to access your data and how you're storing and maintaining that as well. Speaking to that, um, you've got a project on at the moment, don't you, so that people can go to SLIP and download data in, in GDA 2020. At the moment, it's it's set to Web Mercator. That's right, yeah. Are you change, changing that so that customers can get it in, in two or three flavours on the download? Yes, so that's stage three of the project, which we have kicked off now. So we're looking at 
delivering flip data downloads next year in both GDA 94 and 2020, so continuing that support for 94. Uh, in terms of our custodians loading data into SLIP, so we are already prepared for custodians to provide data in GDA 2020. However, we haven't seen any provide GDA 2020 data yet, uh, but we're prepared to do that, to take that data. So we're also making some updates to uh, we have an API that, that customers can query, uh, that which provides the last successful upload date of data. And so we'll be adding to that the original datum of the data because that's really important to let, let customers know the origin of the data, especially when publishing to web services and using Web Mercator. So in SLIP, we will continue to support Web Mercator because that is important to our customers, especially those that are working in a in a Google environment or Esri with Esri map base maps or any of those mm. those web mapping applications that use Web Mercator as the default, which has sort of become the standard for web mapping internationally, um, and that's kind of unfortunate because we kind of ignoring the dynamic nature of WGS eighty four in in doing that. So. That what that means is that so GDA ninety four is a static datum, GDA twenty twenty is a static datum. So when you're transforming that to WGS eighty four, the the transformation is a null transformation. It assumes that GDA ninety four is the same as WGS eighty four. Also assuming that GDA twenty twenty is the same as WGS eighty four. Of course, because that's a dynamic datum. So when you're publishing to web services, you'll get a misalignment of data you'll get that 1.8 metre difference. Mm. Yeah, so, so talking to that, what's the, the Landgate's recommended approach for dealing with uh, data that you've got in GDA 2020 and how do you get that to go into Web Mercator? What's the process that they should follow? Sure, so for SLIP in particular, we're actually going to store that data as Web Mercator and we do that for a number of reasons. The first of all is performance. So when publishing to Web Mercator, um, we're seeing better performance um, if that's stored as, as Web Mercator. But also again that misalignment issue. So we get we'll be getting data in different days. We know we'll be getting data in 94, we know we'll get it in 2020 and we'll know that'll be mixed for a while. So we want to avoid that misalignment in the web mapping environment. So what we'll be doing is transforming that GDA 2020 data, the geometry of that data back to Web Mercator and publishing it explicitly as GDA 94 equivalent to WGS 84. So that's a really important thing to note. And, and we, we spoke about that a bit before about there's different realizations of WGS 84. And the ICSM working group, GIMIWIG, have provided some advice around that. So that that advice advisory paper is available on the ICM website. So what they're advising is that when publishing to Web Mercator, it's about explicitly saying to users what the origin of that data is and what that's equivalent to, especially when using WGS84 as a proxy for authoritative datums like GDA 94 2020. That's kind of known as a bit of a double hop, isn't it? So you you get your, your, your GDA 2020 data, you use some software to take it back to GDA 94 and then you push it out to WGS 84. So you've got two 
two steps to do that, but at least it's consistent and if everyone does the same thing, it will align with the land gate data. And that's really what we're recommending and that's also what other states are implementing as well. So um, New South Wales have actually put some advice out on that and they're recommending that that at least the other agencies do that as well or explicitly say if you are publishing from GDA 2020 to Web Mercator that you're doing that. So it's really clear. The double hop. Uh, yes, yeah, so we're recommending some, the yeah. double hop. Mm. Yeah. Are people not doing that? Are people trying to like just do one hop? There, there is yeah. a risk, yeah. yeah. There's a risk, yeah. <laughs> for sure. And that's where the metadata is really important to actually say what you're doing with it. Kylie, when you're doing your transformations in the background at SLIP, what software are you using to transform your data from one datum to another? So we, uh, we're currently using Esri, but we will use, be using um, FME for our data downloads. And it's important to note there too for agencies that, or organisations that are using different software that how that software might treat yeah. these, these transformations and to check as well the default transformation, transformation used. In that software. I think you've both covered off on the remedies for a lot of the key challenges that we've like managed to identify with our customers. Obviously, one being um, the lack of appropriate technology and the expertise to manage that change. Also, I've, we've come across a lack of understanding on implications of using the wrong data. So, for example, not, you know, not doing that double hop or understanding the reasons for it. The other one that's been quite prevalent is the hesitance to get started Due to concerns, the business will be significantly disrupted and not wanting to sort of take that first step. Many siloed business units playing into the inconsistent data and data practices, which um, we, we've been dealing with as well. And probably the, the biggest one is the lack of direction in the development of the business case and um, giving organisations the confidence that they can prioritise those required activities effectively. And I guess the big thing that came out of that chat between you two just then for me was um, the level of support that Langate is offering and the guidance obviously they're kicking off stage three and the data will be delivered in both formats um, at the start of next year and just to give people confidence that the help the help is there when they need it and oh yeah absolutely and also just um, going back to the point that was made on the metadata and just making sure that the metadata is there it's together and it's up to date as well we sort of spoke about that earlier on before we started the podcast was the metadata piece. But I guess that falls more into like a golden rules type of space. So like I think all of you are so well versed in, in what it takes to deliver one of these migrations within any organisation, whether that's in the public or the private sector. But if you could sit down with, you know, those important stakeholders in those organisations, Crystal, that you were just mentioning in terms of getting that business case together, before they start, before they get right into it, before they start to tackle this, and for some organisations it mightn't be, you know, you know, they might not be using location data as much as another organisation that we might see in like local government or in mining or in ag. I mean, agriculture is pretty impacted as well when it comes to this change. What are some of those key tips? I might just go around the room and start with you, Joy, that you would give these organisations to think about first, getting their ducks or their, you know, in a little row. Yeah. Um, so the first thing I would say would be to, to check your legislation before you do anything, before you change anything. Plan for a legislation change if you need to do that because that will hold your project up if you leave it right to the last 
to the last minute. There are people who are held up now because they need to go through a, a long process to, to make those changes. Develop a strategy and a roadmap for your migration before you actually start to, to make the move. I'm just going to jump in on the strategy as well, Joy, <laughs> like making sure that it's a best fit for purpose strategy. So I think there might be a perception with some organisations that there's sort of this pre-canned plan that they can adopt and move One size migrate fits their all. data, yeah. um, which is not the case. No, that's right. It, it isn't the case and we've, we've seen that moving around the traps because each individual organisation need to actually do a review of their current data assets and their data capture programs before they even start. They may actually find that they've got a lot of historic data that they can just leave in GDA 94, lock it away and only access it and transform it when they actually need to because you don't have to go and do the whole shebang all at once. I think you can take a, a, a staged approach to that. Don't forget, this is my golden rule, don't forget to lo- download the new grid files uh, for your GIS system. I know that Kylie's already touched on that. Was that about the sort of Esri versus like maybe yeah. You, yeah. people using Google Maps? So depending on what technology you're using, is that yeah, what you mean? Definitely, and that's part of identifying what what technology you are, are you using in your organisation as part of that planning stage and making sure that the version that you have supports GDA 2020 and also supplying all of the transformations that that you need across your organisation so your users um, can choose which transformation will suit the data best. Right. So some uh, software might come by default, even the latest versions, just not with all of the transformations. So there's three transformations for the WA mainland and there's also an additional two for the Christmas cocos killing islands or Indian Ocean Territory. So that's really important to note and, and not all software might treat those those things equally. So you might see that, for example, Esri apply the same transformation grid across mainland and the, the Indian Ocean Territories. Um, some other, other software might have some some more smarts in there that takes that into account. So it's being being aware of those things. So know your data, know how accurate it is. So like Joy said, you might need, depending on the accuracy of the data, you might leave it as it is. And then if you for that more accurate data, that's where you want to do the, those transformations. And, and depending on the data, what transformation you use as well as your software. And that will certainly trip people up. And I, and I also think that you need to think about how the data is going to be used. So you may want to publish data for web maps in the web mercator, which Kylie's already talked about, which is the pseudo standard for web mapping. And then you may want to manage it in GDA 2020. So you may have a publication database and you may have a database that's your master editing database and then use some software to transform and manage the changes between those two databases. So when you publish your web maps, it's using the pseudo standard. It means that your web maps will perform really fast, but it's not the data that you'd use to do detailed GIS analysis. You would actually use your GDA 2020 data for that. So that's another really important thing to manage. And you can also, when you take that into consideration, you may be able to do a seamless migration. So it has minimal impact on the business. So how you plan the migration will will dictate how you can get the services out to the people as, as quickly as possible. And that is also really key then. Kylie's already spoken about this. Another really hot tip of the day is do not display GDA 94, GDA 2020 and WGS84 data all in the same map because your data will not you align. You can do that. 
You can do you that, can but do it that. doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but it will not align. Uh, and I think also to note there is um, for Esri users um, using ArcMap, Esri have actually implemented that double hop transformation, custom transformation, particularly for Esri map services. So when you bring in uh, a web mapping service, or you might bring in a slip service in, in WGS84, that will transform on the fly if you have the latest version of Esri to GDA 2020 using that that double hop. Mm. Uh, for other software, you if you were using a slip service, you would tell your software that it's GDA 94. So change your layer CRS to 94 and then that will transform on the fly to GDA 2020. So it's really about the end user being aware of the origin of that data, especially using WGS84. So defining your data and providing that metadata to you to end users as well is really important. So it's not, I guess it's not good enough just to say WGS84. You want to let your customers know at what um, realisation of WGS84 that is and also the epoch of that data. So for Slip, we'll be explicitly saying that we are publishing WGS84 as at equivalent to GDA 94. Epoch is really critical now, uh, more than it ever was before, because we've now got this new new coordinate system. But also, when, when you're talking about the web services um, side of things and the alignment and the single hop, you need to also bear in mind that you'd probably need to download your grid files on the server as well, so that the web server has access to that those grid files as well. And people don't often know that it's buried in documentation somewhere hard to find. Yeah, that's one thing that we did find. So if you especially if you're using uh, Esri software and, and Arctis server, those those kind of things to so check that transformation, check what it's using by default, even with, with newer versions of that, make sure you have those right transformations available and, and in place. So depending on the accuracy of your data, making sure that you're using that correct transformation. I think a key point there, um, as well as doing the right thing and providing the right data, and this is where a lot of organisations get derailed a bit, is making sure to ensure minimal business disruption is effective communication with their teams to address individual users having specific local data that could be in GDA 94 and the implications of using the wrong data. Um, there's a big education process that needs to happen with that. That's a, yeah, that's a really good point because I think as well, something you and I have spoken about before, Crystal, is that um, sometimes the people that might be in charge of starting and rolling out this GDA 2020, 2020 migration probably even haven't had those chats with different teams about the way they're using the data and what their particular use mm. case is. It's like getting that first, right? Yeah, and also the data that organisations are getting supplied by contractors, obviously they don't have a lot of control um, often in how that's presented to them. So um, ensuring business business can continue through the migration, um, a key aspect would be to develop a plan to ensure those decision makers have accurate data available to them through the migration and not a mix of GDA 94 and GDA 2020 that can be sourced concurrently, um, potentially exacerbating the issue. And my number one tip is to get started. Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes when it comes to sort of big projects like this in, in business as well, you don't really know where to start either. Like you probably look at it and go, oh my God, we really have to go through this and do this. It must be a pretty hard slog, right, for some of these. I think that's where the getting the assistance for the priorities and the timelines 
to, to start working through those things. And, and I can't stress it enough, but, you know, we need to make sure that those organisations can continue to deliver value throughout the process. Um, it's not like they can stop, yep. stop providing their service to do this. Um, we need to make sure that there's a plan in place so that they can continue. What do you think are some of the industries that are going to have the biggest challenge laying ahead of them in terms of this project and um, maybe the, the sheer amount of location data that they have to work with? I think from what we've seen, a lot of bigger GIS type agencies and organisations have got plans in place, have implemented or at least start have started implementing. It's maybe the organisations that don't have the same business drivers for, for implementing or maybe just don't understand it well enough. I'd recommend definitely start by getting a good, simple understanding of what this change is. And then obviously the setting up that. But if you've got the right software, the actual process of the doing is relatively straightforward, isn't it? That's right. It's not It's not a difficult process. It's more the, the challenges around understanding, understanding the systems and having those resources in place. So maybe it might be a bit more difficult if you're on older versions of software and technology and having that support and resources in place so it's not a matter of just transforming data it's also upgrading systems and that's probably where some of the challenges will be. Mm. Mm. Well um, in terms of resources and places that um, some of our listeners can go to particularly if they're listening and they're starting to think about their GDA 2020 migration Kylie do you have any recommendations of a place that people can go to 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 really educate themselves first in terms of what Landgate can offer? Yeah, sure. So Landgate's got a really great page on GDA 2020. You can find it really easily. Just Google Landgate in GDA 2020. Uh, so that's a really simple page that steps through some of the information and also where we're up to with our implementation project and also some links across to the ICSM website on where to find that more technical information. There's a wealth of information on the ICSM website as well as some really good webinars where Nick Brown explains this good complex. old Nick yeah good old Nick he's everywhere <laughs> he's everywhere <laughs> and we've referred to Nick a lot because yeah. he, he explains this really complex information in a really easy to understand way so definitely recommend uh, checking out some of Nick's webinars that he's done there and how about um, slip as well yeah, so we have um, information both on the, the Langate website on GDA 2020, also information um, that we will be providing out through Data WA. Uh, we have a blog on the Data WA website where we provided the last update on where we are at with GDA 2020 implementation. And of course, like I said, we will continue to support GDA 94 and um, WGS 84 in web mapping so our customers can be confident as we make changes we'll, we'll be letting customers know what when those changes will be having what the changes will be and also I'm not sure if I mentioned um, we have an API for our data upload tool where customers can query uh, that API and they can get from that API the the latest successful upload date of data and also we'll be adding to that the original datum. That's really helpful for, for the listeners. We'll include links to all of those things that you just mentioned there in, in the show notes. Joy, do you have any resources? Yeah, I, I do. And I have to say that the Landgate data, I've reviewed a lot of websites doing research for, for GDA 2020 to make sure that our approach at, at NGIS is well aligned with, in particular, Landgate. 
and also aligned with ICSM. So I've, I've looked at all those resources. The Landgate resources are absolutely fantastic. And in addition to that, as a resource at, at Landgate, I actually did also have a chat with the geodesy team at Landgate and those guys really know their stuff as well. So I was actually really grateful to be able to have a very technical conversation with those guys and they've got lots of information if you can't get enough at, at the other at the other sites. And I should say uh, we're there to help and if anyone does need that, that support to contact our team at Landgate. So you can do that through the business and government solutions team uh, and they can put customers onto the, the right contact at Landgate. So whether that's SLIP or the geodesist team, and we're happy to come out and see people. And at great. the end of the, the day, it's all about data sharing, uh, data interoperability, and uh, us all being on the same page. That's right. Yeah. Crystal, did you have any resources for our listeners as well? Um, my resources are sitting at this table, so I don't have any additional ones. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> Obviously, we are a resource, Crystal. Uh, our, ourselves, um, we do have teams of analysts out there on the ground right now, migrating migrating people. Uh, I myself have been involved also, uh, boots on the ground, migrating people, providing strategies, that kind of stuff. So we're here to help. Um, people might see Kylie and myself around the traps doing a bit of a, a get about speaking to, to groups of people as well, I think. Yeah, definitely. And some of the other links that we've mentioned as well and resources that we've mentioned throughout the podcast. So Nick Brown's podcast on GDA 2020 and then also um, some of the blogs that I mentioned too. We'll link those in the show notes for all of you to go and listen to. So there'll be lots of links in the show notes. Do go there, ngis.com.au, into the newsroom and podcasts and you can be linked to everything that you've heard about today in the podcast. So thank you all so much for being here today. Thanks Thanks. for having us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Big fun. If you like what you heard today and you enjoy listening to Location Matters, we do encourage you to subscribe to our podcast. You can do that on all podcasting platforms, so Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. You've been listening to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS covering the world of mapping and location technology. To find more episodes or to read our blog, check out our website, ngis.com.au.